The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with Jen Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to episode 41 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, Jen Cochran. When I started this podcast, it was to connect with people navigating survivorship after or while still managing cancer. And while this is still very much a focus, I also want this to be a place where we can provide some education and facts around topics that maybe not getting enough talk time, not with our doctors and not in the mainstream. In last week's episode, I talked about what checkups and screenings should be on our radar, as well as some of the types of doctors you might want to consider adding into your health checkup routine. Today, I want to talk about a topic that does not get nearly enough attention here in the United States that it gets in Europe and Australia and other parts of the world, and that is lymphedema. Here in the United States, we have one certified lymphedema therapist for every 100,000 patients. One to every 100,000. In Europe, they have one to every 10,000. That is a huge, huge disparity. So over the past year or so, I've seen a lot of questions and confusion pop up in different support groups around lymphedema and the risks and the potential causes and how to protect against it. And if it's really a concern that we even need to protect against it, because there are a lot of different kind of schools of thought, because there's not a huge body of widespread evidence in terms of research. It becomes very challenging because a lot of the research is anecdotal and does not really cover large numbers of people. In 2016, when I had my surgery, my doc was unsure after surgery how many lymph nodes she had taken. They were super tiny. And she did a sentinel node biopsy that basically they inject a dye into the area of the tumor and they follow the dye to where the first lymph node is. And then they test that lymph node. And if that lymph node is clear from cancer, that's it. They don't have to do any more. In my case, that lymph node was positive. So they had to do what's called an axillary node dissection. They took some more lymph nodes, but they were very small and couldn't tell how many they had taken. So she said, hopefully enough to get you out of radiation and not so many that you're in lymphedema territory. So let's break this down. What is the lymphatic system? Basically, 30,000-foot view. It's responsible for the creation, transport, and filtration of lymph fluid. Lymph fluid is a protein-rich fluid. It has both a circulatory function, where the network of lymph nodes clustered throughout the body transport this fluid to be processed back into or out of the body, and an immune system function to remove the garbage that the body doesn't need. Like I said, 30,000 foot view. Lymphedema 
is a chronic swelling that's caused by a buildup of fluid when the lymphatic system is faulty or impaired. The Lymphedema Treatment Act Org has a great infographic that we're going to put a uh, link to in the show notes. They break down the causes of lymphatic dysfunction like this. Lymph node removal for cancer treatment. Injury to lymphatic vessels due to trauma or infection. So radiation can cause injury. Venous insufficiency causing overload of lymphatic vessels. Basically, if your circulatory system is having a problem moving your blood through your body, that could overflow into your lymphatic system or a congenital malformation of lymphatics. So for our purposes here, we're just talking about removal based on cancer treatment and injury from radiation. This is an interesting number that you'll see on the Lymphedema Treatment Act infographic. They estimate that two out of every five breast cancer patients will develop lymphedema within five years of surgery. Now, the more commonly held number is 21%. Um, That's the one I've seen most recently in research that I've looked at. But this is estimating that the number is closer to 40%. And I do think that that is probably a little more realistic. Because we have so much lymphedema that's going undiagnosed in the early, most treatable stages. And that's really what I want to get into today. I want to get into how we head off lymphedema and how we manage it in a way that doesn't become debilitating. My story when it comes to lymphedema is somewhat normal in the progression of how my lymphedema came to be and somewhat abnormal in that I was fully aware that lymphedema was a thing and could affect me. So I was a bit more proactive when I was getting moving again following all of my treatment. I had surgery first when my doctor said she hoped to keep me out of lymphedema territory. There are Anywhere from 20 to 30 lymph nodes in the axillary area, in the underarm area, which is basically the clearinghouse for your arm, whichever side that may be on. So mine's on my left side. So 20 to 30 lymph nodes. I had nine removed. If we think of like the old bucket brigade, I'm thinking of like a cartoon or something. (laughs) from dating myself from my childhood. Say you have 20 people lined up and they're passing buckets to put out a fire. They're moving 20 buckets worth of water, 20 buckets worth of fluid. And then you take away nine. Well, you're now only moving 11 buckets worth of fluid. So if you imagine that you have 20 to 30 lymph nodes in that area and you take away nine, well, you only have 11 to 21 left. And the process to get tested for how many lymph nodes you actually have is extremely difficult. It's very painful, especially for upper extremities. I have one client who's undergone that testing because her lymphedema actually came from a brown recluse spider bite. Um, She has full right side lymphedema as a result of that bite. So totally different situation, but she did have that testing and it's exceedingly painful. So suffice it to say that none of us really know how many lymph nodes we have in any given area. 
When we take them away, we just have less. And then you can add on top of that if you have scarring, any scar tissue. I'm a terrible scarer. I develop lots and lots of scar tissue. It's just how my body heals. It's who my body is. It's not it's not a reflection of anything else other than it's just who my body is. That can also cause a blockage in that area. Immediately following my surgery, I had axillary web syndrome or axillary cording. It may sometimes be referred to as. And basically, that is connective tissue that grows out of your lymphatic scarring from that axillary node, uh, lymph node dissection. And it can grow from that area. It can go down into your ribs. And it can also come up through the armpit and go down the inside of the arm and all the way down to the base of the thumb if it goes untreated. And the challenge with this is that we don't always prepare patients that this is a potential issue. So I knew what it was when I saw it forming and I start and I could feel it. I could feel restriction in my ability to raise my arm, but it also just had major surgery with my bilateral mastectomy. So you have to balance like what am I feeling that's my surgery and what am I feeling that is something else. So for me in the beginning I was really a little bit tentative and the beginning being the days immediately following my surgery. And at the 12-day mark, I had a seroma. I had some swelling in my armpit, and they drained, my surgeon drained that at my first follow-up appointment. And when she drained that, then I really could tell that I had some restriction. And when I looked in the mirror, I could see the raised kind of cording in my armpit when I raised my arm up. So I started working on that. I started working on breaking it up. I started working on really being very intentional with moving my arm and increasing my mobility. And then fast forward, I started chemo. Eight weeks out from surgery, my chemotherapy treatment started, and I was fully recovered from my axillary web syndrome. I had full mobility of my arm. I could raise my arm straight up over my head without any pain. I could sometimes feel a little restriction, but it was really not bad. It was, for the most part, fully remediated. And about after my third chemo treatment, I really started to notice that the second week, it's a three-week cycle. Um, My chemo was in a three-week cycle. And the second week, I would start to feel that cord getting longer. And then in the third week, it would start to recede. And I mentioned it to my oncologist. And my oncologist has been practicing for decades And he said I was the first person to ever report this to him, which I think is just really indicative of the fact that we don't prepare people for what this could be. We don't necessarily check people for it, and therefore we might associate the challenges with mobility to being not moving enough, not being aggressive enough with how we recover from that surgery. So those are all, you know, challenges that we face in terms of the communication and how we are prepared for what lies ahead of us. Now, I'm going to fast forward to the spring after my chemo ended. I was still on Herceptin, but I started training for Dopey, 
for that endurance race that I ran in January of 2018. As I was embarking on my training for Dopey, I wanted to consult a lymphedema therapist so that I was being monitored by someone because having nine lymph nodes removed, I knew that I had some risk for lymphedema. I had nine less lymph nodes. My lymph nodes were super tiny, um, and I was going to be doing a lot of cardio. And here's the thing. I naturally in the summer, it is my body's natural process to not deal well with heat and to swell. My fingers and feet will get swollen when I run. It's just, again, like how I scar. It's just who I am. So I knew that there was already a risk that I was going to be putting additional fluid and additional fluid processing strain on my arm. So I wanted to get that next level of professional monitoring. It was kind of lucky in my case that I happened to meet with my lymphedema therapist the beginning of March. And the end of March, I started being symptomatic. So when I first met with her, she took measurements. We sort of had a baseline, so to speak. And she basically said that if I was having any issues to come back and see her, but otherwise I should be okay. And then within a couple of weeks, I started having a bad reaction to tamoxifen. And it was the first time I had the bad reaction. I was getting swelling in my hands and in my arms. That caused the left arm to start to show signs of lymphedema, not being able to process that excess fluid. So at that time, she she fitted me for a sleeve, a compression sleeve that I could wear when I was exercising. So she only wanted me to wear the sleeve when I was exercising. That brings me to item number one of fact or fiction. Does wearing a compression garment cause lymphedema? So let's break this down a little bit. Obviously, we need to be fitted for a compression garment. If you think that you have lymphedema or you have the potential to have lymphedema, you want to see a certified lymphedema therapist and be properly fitted, measure, have your arms measured, and be properly fitted for a, a garment. Improperly fitted garments, this is fiction. There was a study back in 2005, I believe it was quite a small number of people actually, where they hypothesized that wearing a sleeve could cause a worsening of lymphedema instead of an improvement. And that is just not believed to be true. That that study has been debunked, but it continues to be referenced. It's a 15-year-old study with a very small subset of people. So it's really important to get measured. Now let's talk a little bit about symptoms. What kind of symptoms might you have? So I'm going to talk about these symptoms in terms of breast cancer survivors or any kind of upper extremity that's affecting your arms or your torso. So for arms, your arm might feel heavy. The area under your arm and your armpit might feel congested. 
It might feel like a little swollen or puffy. That could be an early symptom of lymphedema. And the thing about this is that it's something that you feel as a human in your body, but it's not necessarily something that someone else is going to see. The only way that you can know for sure is to then have measurements. So basically, when you go in to see a certified lymphedema therapist, They'll put a pillow on your lap, you'll extend your arms out, and they'll measure four centimeters from your wrist all the way up to your upper arm. And then they'll do circumference measurements. And then we compare the circumference measurements from the left arm to the right arm. And depending on which is your affected arm, we come up with the difference between the volume of fluid in those two limbs. And there's a whole mechanism by which to do that. We also look at, is there one measurement, left side to right side, that has a two centimeter or greater difference? Now, here's the challenge. If you are a person who is at risk for lymphedema, and you're a small person, and you have a slight build, or you have smaller arms, you may not have a difference of two centimeters in one particular area, but you may have a significant volume difference arm to arm. If many measurements are just a little bit higher in a smaller person, that percentage is going to be much larger. Where a larger person may need to have more significant difference in their measurements in order for the volume to actually be a significant percentage difference. To put it in perspective, at 3% difference one arm to the other, we are going to be looking to manage that situation because that is indicative of lymphedema. I have heard people say 10%. At 10%, the difference is visible. That means that a significant other might be able to tell that one arm is larger than the other. And at 10%, the condition may be irreversible. I've been sharing a lot about kind of lymphedema, what it is, what the symptoms are, a little bit about my story and how I came to start to navigate that process. In November of 2017, I actually became a certified lymphedema therapist. So when I say we would want to be managing that, I do mean we in the context of as a certified lymphedema professional. So if you have questions or you're not sure kind of where you stand in terms of lymphedema, definitely feel free to contact me and we can connect and talk through some of that. Uh, Before we close out today, I want to share a couple more of the fact versus fiction items that I commonly see from people who are in this space of being unsure what their risks for lymphedema are. Can blood pressure be measured in the treated arm? I like to err on the side of caution, and I always offer my opposite arm. There is no reason for anyone to take my blood pressure on my affected arm. It's not believed to cause a condition of lymphedema, but if you have lymphedema as I do, it can aggravate it. So I always recommend fact 
do not have your blood pressure taken on that arm. You have another arm. They can use that. Factor fiction. Can patients have blood tests or IVs or immunizations in the treated arm? Again, needles are a little bit more of an issue. Your lymphatic system is part of your immune system. If you have lymphedema or you have a reduced ability in that area, you're more prone to infection. Getting any kind of puncture in the arm can be a source for infection. So when at all possible, avoid that situation. Again, there are a lot of veins in my body that someone can do a blood draw from. They don't have to take it out of my left arm, even though the veins on that side are really pretty and they always want to use them. But it's just not necessary. And it can, if for someone like me who does have lymphedema, it's an active case of lymphedema, it's low grade, but still my risk for infection is much greater on that side. I would say fact, do not have blood tests on that side. Having blood tests can cause issues. Can someone with lymphedema or missing lymph nodes um, or at risk for lymphedema go to a sauna? So there has been some small amount of study that shows that using a sauna regularly can increase one's risk and likelihood for lymphedema. Fact, Prolonged exposure to heat sources like a sauna or a hot tub can increase your likelihood of developing lymphedema, and it can aggravate an existing case. So definitely use caution in those situations. Fact or fiction, can patients exercise or lift weights? Yes, fact, you can exercise and you can lift weights. I would highly recommend that you seek out someone who has the skills to get you moving again after illness and injury. So there's a very prescriptive way to get back to lifting weights. Basically, we start out with very low weight, high rep. And we build on the weight gradually to not overload the arm, to let the muscles come back up, see how the lymphatic system is functioning, make sure that it's not causing any issues. So definitely seeking out a professional who has some experience in working with people in your situation is super important. So that brings me to the end of this episode. I can't believe that we're already a quarter of the way through November. The holidays will be here before you know it. And in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to be sharing more survivor stories and helping you get moving and stay grounded as we move through what will likely be a very strange holiday season. In the meantime, if any questions came up today in terms of where you are, on this potential spectrum of lymphedema or engaging with a trainer who might be right for you and you want to get some questions to ask, come on over to the Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning, and let me know how I can support you. From the Facebook group, you can also schedule time to chat with me as well. 
Um, several times a week, you'll see a coffee chat post where you can just click the link and book some time in my calendar. So stay safe out there. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.